Be seated. Well, have you guys been following the Brock Purdy story at all? <laughs> it's been a wild story so far. I don't know if you know Brock Purdy or not, but he's a former Iowa State quarterback, and he was the last pick in the 2021 NFL draft, pick 262. And because he was the last pick in the draft, he was given this title on his jersey, if you want to put that up there, Mr. Irrelevant. How, how would you like that title as a rookie going into the NFL? And the 49ers, they drafted him to be the third string quarterback uh, on the team. Trey Lance was their first string quarterback, but he broke his leg early in the year. Then Jimmy G, he was the backup and he became the starter, but he broke his leg a couple weeks ago. And so this made Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And the first game that he started uh, at quarterback was against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And Tom Brady, as you know, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. But Brock Purdy outplayed Tom Brady, and the 49ers beat the Buccaneers 35-7. to And the first touchdown pass that Brock Purdy threw in that game was to George Kittle, the Iowa Hawkeye. And <laughs> yeah, all right, we can clap for that, I guess. Um, but when I saw that touchdown pass from Brock Purdy to George Kittle, I thought only God can bridge the gap between Hawkeyes and Cyclones, and <laughs> between darkness and light, and um, he's done this through Brock Purdy. But millions of people all across the country, they are loving the Brock Purdy story. And there's just something about his story that we are hardwired to love. Uh, we love it when the last pick in the draft moves into a position of prominence. We love the underdog story. And when you think about the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, in one sense, it is the ultimate underdog story. Consider the parents of Jesus Christ. We don't get to pick our parents, but Jesus did. He created Mary and Joseph, and then he chose them to be his parents. And Mary and Joseph, they were not royalty. They were not wealthy. They were not in a position of power. They were very poor. They had little to no education. They were just two peasant teenagers from a small town in Galilee, and yet, Mary and Joseph, they were the ones Jesus picked to be his parents. He says, I want to grow up in that family, in a small town in Galilee. And we don't get to pick where we are born, but Jesus got to pick where he was born. And he was not born in Rome. He was not born in Athens. He was not born in Jerusalem. He was not born in an influential city. He was not born in a palace. He was not born into luxury. He was born in a little forgotten town called Bethlehem. And at the time of his birth, there was no room for him in that town, so Jesus was likely born in a barn, practically outside, surrounded by the stars and maybe some cattle. And all of this was on purpose. It was to demonstrate from the very beginning the love and humility of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ would humble himself. He would leave heaven and become a man. And he humbled himself all the way to death on the cross for us, that he came into the world for us, that we might have life through him. And this afternoon, as we dive into the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, I want to look at the three main characters in the text, and I hope you get a sense in the text of the humility of Jesus Christ. I, I hope you, you get a sense of the truth that all throughout the scriptures, God delights in using the humble to accomplish his purposes. He delights in using the weak, he delights in using the forgotten and the insignificant to accomplish his purposes. So let's look at Mary. She is the first character in the story that we meet in verse 18. And there are three details about Mary that should stand out to us. Mary is engaged, Mary is pregnant, and Mary is a virgin. 
Mary is engaged, Mary is pregnant, and she is a virgin. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was, just, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Matthew says it was discovered that she was pregnant. Now, now how was it discovered? Well, likely, uh, her baby bump is showing. Uh, you can't hide pregnancy forever. Likely, the baby, Jesus' baby bump is showing, and so now word is getting out that Mary is pregnant. And as I was studying verse 19 this week, I was just thinking about how I naturally interpret verse 18, just the different thoughts that came into my mind. I thought to myself, Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. What a privilege. She is pregnant with the Son of God. Mary is engaged to the man of her dreams, Joseph. It's not easy to fall in love, and it's not easy to fall in love with the right person, and Mary and Joseph, they loved each other. And so she's engaged to the man of her dreams, and Mary is going to be famous, world famous, for thousands of years. And so there was a part of me where I was thinking to myself, you know, Mary, she's, she, this is going to work out really well for Mary. I bet she's really loving the situation that she is in. But this is not how Mary would have experienced her pregnancy. Mary did not walk around saying, I'm pregnant with God, get out of my way, wash my feet, rub my back. That's not what Mary did at all. In fact, she would have had the opposite experience. Mary's life would have been radically and permanently changed because she was pregnant outside of wedlock. She was pregnant before she was officially married. She would have immediately been labeled as an adulteress. Rumors would have been floating around all over the place about Mary. Did you guys hear that Mary cheated on Joseph? Did you hear about that? I wonder who the father is. You know, we've seen Mary going to synagogue every single week for years and years and years, but really she had a secret life. She slept with some random guy and got pregnant. Did you hear about that? Immediately, she would have been labeled as an adulteress. And no one would have believed her story. Her parents would not have believed her. Her siblings would not have believed her. Her friends would not have believed her. And most importantly, Joseph would not have believed her story. Mary was left labeled and rejected by everyone. But the truth is that Mary is actually a virgin. Mary is not crazy, she's not lying, she's not an adulteress, she is telling the truth. Verse 18 says, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant, not by Joseph, not by some other man, but she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so Mary is engaged, Mary is pregnant, Mary's a virgin, and Mary is probably 14 years old. Can you imagine that type of stress at 14? That type of pressure, that type of weight that she would have been carrying on her shoulders, all the confusion that she must have been going through, and yet this was God's plan for Mary. In verse 19, we meet Joseph. He's the second character in the story. Verse 19 says, so her husband, Joseph, now they were betrothed at the time. They were not not living together. They had not had sex together. Their family was not a recognized family in, in the community, but they were legally married. This was part of the custom of the day. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce, to, to divorce her secretly. So Joseph definitely is in shock at the news that Mary is pregnant. And in his mind, he has two options. Not three options, not five options, two options. Option one, disgrace her publicly. This, this would be to take Mary to court, making her, her unfaithfulness a public scandal. This would have demoralized Mary, humiliated Mary all the way. That's option one. Option two, divorce her privately. 
divorce her privately. If you were betrothed together, it required legal divorce in order to break the relationship. And to divorce her privately meant a private, quiet, and mutual parting of ways where Joseph did not make a big deal out of what had happened. And since Joseph was a righteous man, he decides to divorce her privately to minimize the humiliation Mary would experience, which demonstrates the fact that Joseph did not believe Mary. Joseph did not believe Mary's story. If he believed Mary's story, he would have been rejoicing. He would have been thrilled. I mean, could you imagine if the love of your life, your fiance, the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, was like, hey, I'm pregnant with, with God, and imagine if that was true, and imagine if you believed her, you would be celebrating. I can imagine a lot of situations where it would be great if God was your son. I mean, there are just a lot of ways, a lot of situations it'd be nice if God was your son. But he doesn't believe her. And he doesn't believe Mary because Mary's story is not believable. Would you? Would you have believed Mary? No. <laughs> You're not better than Joseph. You're not better than any of these people who, who thought that she was crazy. None of us would have believed Mary. Verse 20. But after he considered these things, so Joseph decides he's going to divorce her privately, but something isn't sitting right with, with Joseph. He knows that Mary is a godly woman. He loves Mary, but Mary is clearly pregnant, and he knows that baby is not his. He's like, okay, it's, that's not my baby. She's a godly woman, and I can't make sense out of what is going on. And so in the mercy of God, God sends an angel to Joseph. It says, as Joseph is pondering what's happening, he's considering these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the instructions are straightforward. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why would Joseph have been scared? Why would Joseph, why would he be afraid to take Mary as his wife? Well, think about how the situation appears to any rational person. It appears that Mary has been unfaithful to him, cheated on him. It appears that Mary is lying about her situation. And in the process of lying, she looks crazy. She looks like a crazy person. That is not the type of person anyone wants to be with. If you're dating online and you read someone's bio and they say, I'm crazy, I'm a liar, and I cheat on you. Who's, who's going to sign up for that? Nobody. No takers. Even in 2022. No one is going to bite on that. But what the angel tells Joseph is that Joseph, Mary, is telling the truth. She is not lying. She is not crazy. And she has not been unfaithful to you. She is telling you the truth. What the angel says is that the, the baby in Mary's womb has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph obeys the angel. Joseph obeys the angel because his heart is to obey God. Verse 24, Joseph woke up. He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Now this is amazing to me. This is, this is amazing. Without hesitation, Joseph gets up and he obeys. And think about what verse 20 says. Just, again, whenever you read the Bible, what you want to do is just try to put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in that context and try to imagine being Joseph. 
And think about what the angel said to him. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And if you were Joseph in that moment, you would not have said, oh, you know what? Pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I definitely don't have any questions about that. I'm just gonna obey. That no, he's not thinking that. He's not gonna say that. Just the fact that the baby inside of Mary has been conceived by the Holy Spirit doesn't answer very much. I'm sure Joseph would have had so many questions moving into the future. So many things to consider. What am I signing up for? What implications will this have for the rest of my life? And yet he obeyed. And here's a principle. Uh, here's a principle you see from cover to cover in the scriptures. Here it is. We want to understand completely so we can obey God. If you're a Christian, this is, this is what happens to us often. We want to understand what God is asking us to do completely before we obey. We want to know all the ins and outs of what God is asking us to do and how is it going to work out, how is it going to work out? because sometimes God will ask us to do things where we, we, we have to step into the unknown and we don't understand how it's going to work out and sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. And so we say, well, I don't quite get it, so I'm not going to obey. So we say to ourselves, we want to understand completely so we can obey God. But if you think that way, if you wait to obey God until you understand everything that needs to be understood, you won't do much obeying in your life. The truth is that, is that God wants us to obey so you can understand. If you want to understand more, obey God. And when he asks you to obey him in a way that doesn't make sense to you, that maybe puts you in a position you don't want to be in, it comes down, what, what you're wrestling with is, do you trust God or do you trust yourself? Will you trust God or do you trust yourself over God? And what we see in Joseph is a very good example for us to follow. That he took Mary to be his wife and he joined Mary in her shame. He joined Mary in her shame. The culture would have heaped loads and loads and loads and loads of shame and humiliation on Mary. And Joseph joined Mary in that shame. I mean, Joseph, what are you thinking here? Why would you ever marry a woman who is unfaithful to you? Why would you do that? No, no, she wasn't unfaithful. That's God's baby. That, that, that will not appease anyone in the culture and the world. That's just not going to happen. And then he obeys and, and names the baby Jesus. And this is where we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the birth of Christ that is disrupting the lives of Mary and Joseph. So why all the confusion? Why all the challenges? Why all the difficulty for Mary and Joseph? It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I've learned over the last 20 years of walking with Christ is that when someone meets the real Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives change. If you meet the real Jesus Christ, your life will change. The Lord Jesus Christ disrupts people's lives. If you keep living after, if you say you meet Christ and yet you keep living the way you were living before you met Christ, you have not met Christ. You've not met the real Christ. He disrupts people's lives. He redirects people's lives. Oftentimes in ways that are difficult for us. And so Mary and Joseph's lives seem chaotic, they seem confusing, but it's because of Christ, and it's for their good. Now there are two truths we need to notice here about Christ. I made a list of 11 truths this week as I was studying, but it's Christmas Eve. 
and we don't want to be here all night. So I'm going to give you two. I think these are at the center of the text. Number one is that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. This truth is repeated four times in four different ways in this passage. I'm just going to show you one in verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah said this 700 years before Christ lived. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is with us. And so the angel is telling Joseph, the virgin that Isaiah was looking forward to 700 years ago, that's, this is the virgin. This is Mary who's going to give birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in the process, the angel makes it clear that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, the miracle, people often talk about the virgin birth, which is appropriate to talk about the virgin birth, but that's not where the miracle's at. The miracle's in the virgin conception. Jesus was born like every other human being was born. He was conceived in a completely different way. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And many people in our world today will say, uh, if you throw away the virgin conception, it's no big deal at all. If you throw away the virgin conception, you've not lost anything at all. But that's not true at all. And so I want to give you just a couple of reasons why the virgin conception, the virgin birth of Jesus is so important. First, if Jesus had a human father, he is only human and cannot redeem us. Why does it matter whether or not Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Well, if Jesus had a human father, if the Holy Spirit did not conceive Jesus in the womb, and Jesus had a human father, then Jesus is only human, and he cannot redeem us. If Jesus had a human father, he would be under the curse of sin, just like we are. And so without the virgin birth, the virgin conception of Christ, Jesus Christ cannot be your savior. Second, if Jesus had no human father or mother, then he's only God, and he cannot redeem us. So if he, if he doesn't have a human mother or a human father, if he's just God appearing as a man, then he's not really a man, and therefore he cannot be our representative. He cannot be our substitute at the cross. He can't bear the sins of human beings if he is not a human being himself. And so he needs a human mother. Next, the virgin birth means Jesus is fully human. The virgin conception means that Jesus is fully human. Jesus was born just like we were born. Jesus did not come out of the womb with a halo on his head. He did not come out of the womb with a perfectly trimmed beard quoting the book of Leviticus. This is not how Jesus was born. He, he came out of the womb crying. He came out of the womb just like every other child that has been born. The virgin birth means that Jesus is fully human. And lastly, being conceived by the Holy Spirit means that Jesus is fully God. It means that Jesus is fully God. Verse 23, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So if Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, then he is God in the flesh. So the virgin conception is the only way for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. And in order for Jesus to be our substitute, to be our Savior, he must be fully God and fully man. And so the virgin conception of Jesus Christ is at the center of the gospel message. To get rid of the virgin conception is to change the identity of Christ. Now, many people, they want to get rid of the virgin conception because they say it's very hard to believe. They say it's baloney, it's nonsense, it's make-believe. 
But one scholar this, this week made a really good point. He said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. <laughs> Choose your miracle. Everyone believes in a miracle somewhere. Everyone believes in a miracle somewhere. And the claim of Christmas is that that miracle happened with the Lord Jesus Christ when he became a man. That he left heaven, he became a man. That the baby in the manger 2,000 years ago is not just a man. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. So truth number one is that Jesus is born of a virgin. Truth number two is that Jesus is born of a virgin to save us from our sins. Jesus is born of a virgin to save us from our sins. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, at this point, it's very important to pay attention to what verse 21 says and what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus will save his people from poverty. It's not what it says. Many people are trusting Jesus to get rich. But it does not say that Jesus came to save his people from poverty. God would not have to become a man to make you rich. God would not have to become a man to make you rich. Verse 21 does not say Jesus will save his people from the Romans. The Romans were ruling over Israel at this time period and the Jewish people hated, they absolutely hated the Romans. They wanted to get rid of the Romans. But God would not have to become a man for the nation of Israel to overthrow the Romans. It does not say that Jesus Christ will save his people from having a bad job or an unhappy marriage. It's not, what it's, it's not what he says. Jesus did not come to give you a promotion. He did not come into the world to give you a happy family. That's not why he came. He did not come into the world to give you a purpose. This is not why he came. He came into the world to save you from your sins. He came into the world to save us from our sins. And here's one truth that comes out of this text which is that, I hope you pay attention to this, it's that God could not save us from sin, death, and hell without becoming a man. God could not, he could not save you, he could not save you from sin, death, and hell unless he became a man and became our substitute at the cross. If the Son of God did not become a man, humanity would be utterly hopeless forever. Why? Why would humanity be hopeless unless God became a man? Well, for God to be God, he must be a just judge. And a just judge, a just judge will never let anyone off the hook. A just judge will never let anyone off the hook. Did you know that every sin that's ever been committed, your sins included, that every sin that has ever been committed all the way back to the Garden of Eden, every sin will be punished by God with death. Every sin that has ever been committed will be punished by God with death. So every time you've lied, every lie you've ever told will be punished by God with death. Every time you've acted sexually immoral and in a sexually immoral way, every time you've been greedy or proud or selfish, every time you've, you've lost your temper and you've yelled at someone, every time you've ever sinned, God, who is the judge of the universe, takes note of it. And every sin you've ever committed will be punished with death. And this is terrible news for us because we are all sinners. But see, the good news of Christmas 
is that Jesus was born to die in our place for our sins. That's the good, this is the only, this is the ultimate reason Christmas is worth celebrating. This is the good news of Christmas, that God became a man that he might die in your place, that the death we deserve was poured out on Christ as our substitute at the cross, that he was born to bear our guilt, he was born to bear our punishment, the punishment of our sins, the punishment that we deserve for what we have done, God in his mercy punished Christ in our stead. This is why we sing joy to the world. This is why the Christmas message is good news of great joy for all people. This is why we should pay attention to Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That Jesus Christ has come to deal with our greatest need. He has come to forgive us of our sins. He has come to bring salvation to the world. And in the scriptures, salvation breaks into two parts. The first part of our salvation that God brings is forgiveness of sins. This is what God offers the world. This is what he offers you. He offers you forgiveness from your sins. So often the world feels guilty. People feel guilty because of what they've done. And do you know why we feel guilty over our sins? It's because we are guilty. We are guilty. There is a real guilt before a holy God. And what we need from God is real forgiveness. And that is what God offers the world through his son, Jesus Christ. He offers the type of forgiveness that cleanses the soul and cleanses the conscience. It's the type of forgiveness that changes a person inwardly, that makes someone new. It's the type of forgiveness that gives new life. Many of us have been scarred and stained by our own sin. But Christ has given us a new life through his life and his death. And so the first part of salvation that God offers the world is forgiveness. The second part of of our salvation is fellowship with God forever. Because our sins are dealt with through Christ at the cross, now we've been made clean and clothed in the righteousness of God and we can have fellowship with God. A God who who is infinitely holy and righteous. We can know him and walk with God because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God gives this gift of salvation, forgiveness and fellowship with him to all who have faith in Christ, to every person who would commit their lives to Christ. That if you come to Christ barehanded, nothing in your hands, not your own righteousness, not your own goodness, not your own moral effort, but if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of salvation, if you come to Christ with your faith in what he has done for you, he will give you forgiveness. He will give you a new life. And so I just want to ask you this afternoon, have you committed your life to Christ? Certainly I'm not asking, are you here right now? I know that you're here right now. I'm asking, have you committed your life to Christ? This is what it means to be a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion this is what Paul says since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all so that those who live so that those who live that's us so that those who live should no longer live for themselves 
but for the one who died for them and was raised. Part of the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to live for yourself anymore. You can, you can get a new master. Instead of being mastered by your greed, instead of being mastered by your lust, instead of being mastered by your pride, you can get a new master. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for you. The one who laid down his life that you might live. He is a gracious master. He is a perfect master. He's a loving master. And Jesus says, he says, you don't have to live for yourself anymore. Praise God for that truth. You don't have to live for your own purposes. You don't have to live to justify your own existence. You can follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ where we humble ourselves, we empty ourselves of ourselves that we might live for Christ. That we might give our lives away to other people. That they might come to know Christ and worship him. And this is what the world needs. The world that we live in right now has gone mad. The world has gone mad. We have thrown away God and as a result the world has gone mad. And what the world needs right now is not more education. It's not more entertainment. It's not more fun. What the world needs right now is the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the gospel of grace. They need the message of forgiveness and fellowship with God. I've been thinking all week uh, just about how life is really short. It seems like every time Christmas rolls around, it just marks another year that has gone by. And I just think about, you know, what happened in the last year, what happened in the year before that. And when you're a kid, you look forward to Christmas. I mean, Christmas is like the best thing ever. When you're a kid, you can't wait for it. You want to get your Christmas gifts and have a lot of fun, and that's a really good thing. But eventually, you get to a point in your life as a man when you get socks for Christmas. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's where I'm at right now. And uh, I'm not mad about that. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I, I like warm socks. <laughs> Just some gift ideas in case you're thinking. So, But I was thinking this week just about how there's coming a day where I won't celebrate Christmas around a Christmas tree. I bet you for your whole life you've celebrated Christmas around a Christmas tree. But there's coming a day where I will not celebrate Christmas around a Christmas tree. And I won't celebrate Christmas at a Christmas Eve service. But there's coming a day where I will celebrate Christmas in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, that's true of you as well. And that day will be here before you know it. I mean, don't you feel old? <laughs> you just, don't you? I mean, it's like, where does time go? That day will be here before you know it. And see, the Lord Jesus Christ, he left heaven, he left the glory of heaven, he became a man, he died on the cross, he rose again, that we might be with him forever. Emmanuel, the name of Christ. God is with us. And he came to be with us that we might be with him forever. And so brothers and sisters, let's celebrate the good news of Christmas, that the baby in the manger is the son of God, and that the Lord Jesus Christ came to be with us that we might be with him forever. And I just want to close by asking you again, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Have you committed your life to him? Is he your Lord? 
Is he your God? Is he your master? Is he your king? If not, commit your life to him. And if you are a Christian, live for him. Don't live for yourself. Part of the gospel is that we, we, don't have to, we don't have to be the master of our own life. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who loved us, for him who died for us and rose again. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the salvation that you have given us by your grace. We know we, know we do not deserve your love, your mercy. We don't deserve your salvation. And I just pray, Lord, uh, for those who, who are here tonight who don't know you, I just ask God that they would, they would turn to you, that they would commit their lives to you, that they would stop playing games with you, that they would be serious about their walk with you. For those of us who do know you, Lord, just help us. Help us, Lord, to, to follow your example, Lord Jesus, the example of just incredible, mind-blowing humility. Help us not to live for ourselves. Help us to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.